Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. But welcome everyone to episode number 30 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. We're calling this one, the six key steps to starting a group practice. There are a lot of key steps to starting a group practice. We think we've hit on the top six and I'm gonna share them with you today. So get your pad and pen ready. It's sure to be a note-taking episode and brew a cup of that wonderful Mila coffee. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is off and running. Once again, thanks everybody for joining me on the podcast today. As I teased in the uh, in the opening, this is an episode that focuses on the starting process of a group practice. Many of you in the audience have already started a group. You're at some phase or stage of an overall development process. There are others who are really in the inception phase. And the question that we get all too often is, hey, Perrin, hey, DeWalker, hey, Polaris, what's one piece of advice you could give somebody in, uh, as to whether or not I should start a group or build a group? Uh, or what's one piece of advice on something that's critical to know early on in the process of building a group that has some um, influence on the level of success that group may have? These are all great questions, and they're super hard to, to boil down into you know, a, a one-minute response, right? I mean, there are a lot of things that influence whether or not you should build a group practice. We've already talked about some of those. But I think that if you are going to build a group, there are a handful of steps that you really have to be eyes wide open about and very mindful when it comes to um, being intentional, at least, about taking these steps and hopefully giving yourself a better um, probability for success, however you define success. And you've heard us talk about success for one entrepreneur versus another can be completely different. And there's not a one size fits all approach to building a group or even building it successfully. But when we start talking about the steps involved to starting a group practice, I think uh, probably a lot of them boil down to these next six points that I'm going to share with you and, and hopefully share them in some semblance of sequential order, meaning there is a, a sequence and, and there is a methodology behind the thought process here. Uh, and so hopefully this comes across and is congruent um, with the way you want to think about these things. So the first step in starting a group practice is obviously to answer that question, what do you want to build? And, and by that, I mean, is it a business built for exit or is it a lifestyle business built for cash flow? Uh, that is a critical um, question to answer in your mind. You don't have to have 
the 100% answer to that. Meaning if you think you're going to build a business uh, that you're going to sell, you may get to uh, some point before you um, plan the exit process and say, hey, you know what? I really love the business I built. Maybe I don't want to sell it. I want to want to maintain it for a while. Nothing wrong with that. On the other hand, you may be thinking about building a lifestyle business and then decide one day, you know what? I want to pull a shoot and, and exit it and have a capital event. There's nothing wrong with that. So don't lock yourself into that, that um, outcome 100% when you start. But I do think it's important to understand what your intention is when you begin. Um, and if the intention is to exit, then we need to define that walk away number, meaning to make the journey worth your while, what, what's the number you got to get in your bank account after debt service and after taxes to make the journey worthwhile? We call that the, the net walk away number. So if you're going to build a business for exit and that's your intention right now, you really need to define your net walk away number and net being after debt uh, is paid off. Uh, and after taxes, the number that lands in your bank account. Uh, the other component to that exit piece is, um, I don't want to say defining, but maybe understanding your expectations around a role and responsibility for you post-sale. So are you going to build a business for exit that puts $10 million in your bank account after you pay off debt and after you pay taxes and you want to be um, the head of business development for the state of North Carolina um, for this larger business that you sold to? Or do you want to build a business for exit that puts $10 million in your bank account and you want to start spending that $10 million uh, in an, on an island in the Caribbean, meaning you want no role post-sale? That's really important because it can influence the business that you're building along the way. And it obviously is going to influence the marketed sale process leading up to that exit. On the other hand, if you want to build a lifestyle business, and when we say lifestyle, we mean a business that funds your lifestyle through the cash proceeds left over in the business that, that you're pulling out of the business and, and using to put your kids in private school, to buy a house at the beach or a mountain house or a new car, whatever it may be, but you're basically building a business that funds your lifestyle, um, then how much income are you expecting uh, that you want? Um, and and th there's a big difference in 500,000 in passive income versus 5 million in passive income. It's important to understand that because obviously the business that you're building that yields either one of those outcomes, meaning the exit number, or the, the cash flow number for a lifestyle business, that's going to define how big the business needs to be, right? So if, uh, if the exit number is $2 million after, um, uh, after debts paid off and, and after taxes, that may not be a very big transaction, may not be a very big business to build to exit it. On the other hand, if it's $20 million in your bank account after debt and after taxes, that's a lot bigger business. Just like in lifestyle con context, how much income do you want? Do you want $500,000 in passive income? It might not be a very big business that you need to build and a lot of risk you need to take to, 
to do it. On the other hand, if you want to build a business that generates $2 million or $3 million in passive income, that's a lot larger, a lot more people, a lot more associates. So the number that you're trying to solve for in terms of net walkaway or passive income cash flow really influences the size of the business that you're trying to build. All right. So that's why it's important to understand, do you want to build an exit business or a lifestyle business? And the context of both of those is how much in terms of an exit or how big in terms of lifestyle, because that influences the size and volume of the business. The second step to starting a group is based on the the answer to, to question number one or step number one is how long do you want to take to get there? If we want to build a business built for exit and it's a $10 million net walkaway number, and we're going to give ourselves 10 years to get there. Well, I mean, that's a pretty methodical growth strategy. I would say that, that there might not be a lot of urgency behind it, but that's really different than having a, t- a $10 million net walkaway number on a sale and giving yourselves uh, two years, maybe three years to get there. There's a lot more urgency, a lot more activity, um, and a lot more risk on that short a time frame to get there. Same thing can be said for the passive income lifestyle type of a business. If you want to build a business that generates two to $3 million in passive income, and you want to take 10 years to get there, then, then again, that's probably a pretty methodical growth strategy. If, on the other hand, you want to get there in two to three years, you've got a lot faster ramp to get there. So your, your, your number in step one is a direct reflection on how big the business is and how big it needs to be to yield that number for you. And then the second step is the time frame to get there and the urgency, candidly, and the risk involved with getting there. If you have the number in your mind and the time frame, you're starting to get a lot more clarity on how quickly you need to move, the risks you're going to have to take, and the urgency behind all of it. And that's really critical to to understand. Um, The third step is based on either one of these uh, first two steps. Are we going to buy businesses or are we going to build businesses? It's a really different uh, uh, context to think about an acquisition-based growth strategy, how you identify acquisitions, how you value them, how you integrate them, uh, and how you improve them versus building. Uh, Build strategies or de novo strategies typically take longer to unfold, but arguably the risk is lower if you understand how to operate them and how to drive new patients um, versus buying businesses that you inherit a lot of stuff with, right? And cultural uh, aspects can create failure the way we've talked about before. So uh, again, when we solve for the net number and we solve for the time frame, the next question is, are we going to buy them to get there? Or are we going to build them? And, and buying or building, sometimes a blend of both, but buying or building is a different discipline and you need to understand what you're good at. You also need to understand the profile of those practices, regardless of buy or build. The profile, meaning um, what you know, what's if you're buying, 
what's the revenue volume you're looking for? What's the minimum number of operatories? Are you going to buy a, a practice that could have some Medicaid exposure? Um, do you want the, the seller to stay on board or do you want to transition them out quickly? A lot of those aspects. You need to define that type of a profile every bit as much as you do in a build context. If you're going to build practices, what's your box What and what's your budget to get there? So is this six ops? Is it eight ops? Is it 12 to 14 to 20 operatories, um, et cetera, et cetera. So the profile of the practice around buy or build is incredibly important. And you want a lot of clarity on that, which brings me to step number four. Now that we've defined our net walkaway number or our net uh, passive income number, and we've defined how long we want to take to get there, and we've defined what these practices look like from a buyer build context and some of the budget or acquisition dollars involved. Now, the mission critical step number four is getting clarity on funding. You can have the grandest business plan uh, in the world. You can have more detail and more budgets and spreadsheets and KPIs and everything like that. You can have delusions of grandeur and the money you're going to make when you spike the football and all that kind of good stuff. But if the bank doesn't fund it, you got nothing. All right. So once we've defined how big the business needs to be and how quickly we're going to get there and what the profile of these practices are going to look like, whether we buy them or build them, somebody is going to have to loan you the money to, to execute on that strategy. And if you don't have clarity around that with your funding partner, you've got a whole lot of nothing. It's a fun academic exercise to go through. Don't get me wrong, but you don't have any clarity around how you're going to create that success if you don't have the mechanism in place to fund the growth. And you would really rather get this clarity up front before you start down the road versus starting down the road and then figuring out your business objectives do not mesh with your funding partner. And oh, by the way, you have a lot of prepayment penalties in place that are going to create breakup costs if you ever want to leave them. So it's important to get clarity from a funding context. And I would tell you that you want to get this type of clarity in writing from the bank. Everybody loves their local banker. You play golf with him or her. They take you out to a nice steak dinner, whatever. You got a good personal relationship with them. I don't know and I don't care. But that local banker that's the relationship expert doesn't make the lending decisions for the bank. They have the relationship with you. They're the person you call when you need something, but they don't have the ultimate yes or no say. And you really need to get that from a credit officer in the bank. It says, look, if I continue to operate the business as successfully as I, as I have, how much further will y'all go in terms of funding it for me? And, and you want to get clarity because if they say, look, we're, we're good up to about $2 million in total loan exposure, and you're already at a million, and you want to build this $10 million walkaway number in the next two to three years, that million dollars in remaining uh, available funds that they would loan you ain't going to get you there. On the other hand, if they say, look, we're good for one practice a year, probably no more than that, as long as you continue to operate these things successfully, 
then that may influence what your time frame is. But you really have to get clarity around funding the total volume over the total amount of time. And you need to get it in writing from the bank because that's your hunting license. And if you don't have that, then all the, the business planning and strategy and, and everything else you've done is just basically an academic exercise up to this point. And the other thing is you're probably going to have to find another funding partner at some point. You'd rather know that now versus finding that out when you're halfway through your strategy. Okay, so step number four is get clarity on funding, total volume over what period of time from the bank. Step number five comes back to you. You need to evaluate your personal living expenses and the buffer around the income that you're deriving from the business. This is really important, the shorter time frame that you want to take to get to your end number. So if your expectation is to build a business over the next decade that yields that income number or that exit number, and it's reasonable, meaning you don't have to, to buy or build any more than maybe one to two per year to get there, then there's probably less pressure on this fifth step in this question. But if you have a, li a personal lifestyle that is maxed out against the income that you're stripping out of the business, that's going to create a problem. We see this create problems in partnerships, candidly, all too often. The reason that you need to be eyes wide open about that is there's going to come a point in time where you're going to want to be able to plow more money back into the growth engine of the business to get you to the finish line quicker than, than stripping all the money out to fund your lifestyle. And, and that's a prudent step to take, by the way. But you need to have a buffer around that where your lifestyle is not dependent upon pulling all of the money out of the business to fund your lifestyle. You want to be able to keep cash in the business for a rainy day fund. You want to be able to keep cash in the business for capital expenditure and replacement items for equipment that fails or becomes obsolete or for technology that you want to purchase to open up new treatment envelopes. You don't want to be 100% dependent upon borrowing all the money all the time from the bank because that makes it harder to keep the bank window open from a borrowing context to buy or build those new locations. So being able to keep some of the income from the business in the business and not in your personal coffers to fund your lifestyle is incredibly important. So step five is evaluate your personal living expenses and what the buffer is around that level of income. And step number six that uh, that'll wrap this or put a bow around this sequence is having a planning session to really understand what you have and what you need from a strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats analysis, a SWOT analysis, if you will, as well as the team to execute it. So this is a little bit of that face in the mirror test it's a little different from step five. Step five, the face in the mirror test is all about you and your, your income needs and your, your lifestyle, essentially. Step number six is the face in the mirror test around the team that you have. And do you have the team to execute the strategy that you've laid out and the funding that you've secured? If you do, 
great. Let's start to push the envelope and roll the business forward. If you don't, what does that mean? Who are you going to have to go out and find or hire to fill the roles that are going to be mission critical to achieving the success um, and, and realizing the expectations, candidly, that you've set out to do it? I think that's really, really important because this is where um, we start to transition from a planning phase into an execution phase. Uh, and that's where the, the rubber really meets the road and, and frankly, where things get super hard. Up to this point, it's all been just a bunch of what if scenarios and, and you know, big picture planning and, and we all get excited about building bigger, more successful businesses. But this step six is, is really where it starts to become real. Uh, and do you have the team beyond just yourself to be able to execute it? If you do, excellent. Let's do it. Go forward. You know, green light city. If you don't, do we need to, to start slowly and think about bringing on recruiting people to fill those roles that we don't have or that we don't have confidence in that we have on board at this point in time? So I hope that this gives you some, uh, uh, some context around starting a group practice. Um, and I would tell you that the more time you can take uh, to work on these six steps early on uh, will give you more confidence and a greater barometer for success, whatever the business is that you're trying to build. So let's roll through them one more time. The first step is, what do you want to build? Is it for exit or is it for lifestyle? What's the net walkaway number or the passive income number that's going to influence how big a business you want to build to, to achieve that? Step number two is, based on how big a business, how fast do you want to take to get there? Short time frame, two to three years, let's say, or longer time frame, maybe six or eight or 10 years. Step number three, decide on buying or building. And what is the profile of those practices? What does it look like in terms of buy or build? Step number four, clarity on funding, total volume commitment over how long a period of time from your current lender. Step number five, evaluate your personal living expenses and the buffer around the, the income that you're deriving out of the business. Uh, step number six is really about evaluating your team and their ability to execute from a strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threat standpoint. If you can proceed through those six steps and gain clarity around all of them, you really have the beginnings of uh, the opportunity, at least, to build a successful group practice. This is stuff that we do with our clients all the time in our strategic consulting program uh, and what we work with them on a one-on-one -on -one basis in our strategic planning sessions and to a different degree in the discovery day type of a setting. So if you're, you're interested in learning more and, and working with an advisor around these steps, obviously we can play a a role in that. And we do that all the time with our clients. And hopefully we give them um, a lot better grasp of, of the business at hand that they're trying to build and, and where some of the um, some of the landmines, honestly, that they could potentially step on along the way. Um, if we can help accelerate your learning curve and minimize your risk for mistakes, then I think we've done our job as an advisor. And hopefully we've helped uh, create more of a, a probability of success uh, on the outcome however you define success. So I hope you, uh, 
you found a, a lot of this to be educational, you know, and obviously in, informative. We we spend a lot of time around content in our business, and we try to to teach uh, from a very granular um, perspective and and really give you the guidance that that helps you feel confidence about the business that you're you're building. 2022 is going to be a, a year of content for us, and there's going to be more about that coming out. So I, I'm looking forward to, to sharing that at some point. If you got questions about anything I presented today, feel free to email me directly at perrin at polarishealthcarepartners.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. So before we wrap things up today, I want to take a, a quick minute and uh, and talk about probably a, a press release that y'all have seen uh, at this point about our masterclass concept and specifically the one that we hosted called mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations recently. So first things first, masterclass in terms of an educational content or concept uh, is something that we're going to be hosting once a month. Uh, over the entire course of 2022. And these sessions are um, are very intense, first and foremost, and they're very focused in terms of subject matter, um, and they're very limited in terms of in attendance. We want these classes to be 10 people or fewer, um, and they're going to be a two-day class. And the format will be deep subject matter expertise. Uh, the first one that we're gonna host in 2022 is gonna be January 13th and 14th. They're gonna be taught here in Charlotte, all of them will be. The subject matter will rotate and will alternate. So actually the first two sessions we're gonna do, January and February, uh, are gonna be on mergers, mergers acquisitions and affiliations. Um, we did a, a, a trial run of these classes in November, and the response we got from those that, that attended was phenomenal, um, better than probably what we would have planned, to be honest with you. Um, but we were thrilled at the takeaways um, and, and the response we got from the audience. So it, it validated the concept in terms of masterclass being a two-day event that's super intense with a, a small number of people to keep it highly interactive. Um, but it also validated the new content that we had built for those classes around mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations. The two-day uh, event will be January 13th and 14th. We're going to host another one in February that's probably going to be the 17th and 18th, but we haven't firmed up those dates yet. The mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations is really a two-day deep dive into how to identify targets, how to build a target acquisition profile, and how to build a pitch, meaning how do you go about uh, sourcing acquisitions um, or, or people to partner with and bring into your group? And then how do you break the ice with them? Like, what's the value pitch from you? You just pick up the phone and say, hey, are you looking to sell your practice? And they say, no. Okay, thanks for taking the call. That's not the way business development happens. So the first part of the class is really about business development in its truest sense. If you look at an enterprise level DSO, all the name brands that we know and love, 
they have business development teams that do this every hour of every day. That is their sole focus about courting potential practices to acquire or merge uh, from an equity role context. You should be able to do the same thing. I know that you're an entrepreneur. Some of you are still practicing dentistry um, and you're transitioning yourselves out of the chair, but you need to understand business development from a a high-end concept because that's going to be one of your primary roles. So we spend a little bit of time in mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations actually talking about becoming your own director of business development. That's the first piece of it. The second piece breaks down really four aspects of growing the business. There is acquisitions outright, meaning that you buy 100% of that practice. Maybe the seller stays on, maybe they they transition out, but you use debt funds to buy 100% of that business. The second component is acquisitions with an equity role. Again, you're still borrowing money, but the seller is going to maintain some equity stake that they're going to roll into your business. Every bit as much as you might do if you decide to sell the business to an enterprise-level DSO or a, a private equity group and you want to roll equity into their business. There's no reason that you can't use that same tool in your toolbox the way an enterprise-level DSO does. So we talk about acquisitions with an equity role into your business, talk about it from a legal structure, from an equity structure, from a debt structure, and from a prospecting uh, aspect to it. Um, Because maybe that seller that wants to roll equity into your business um, uh, has aspirations to to go along for the ride and and a second bite of the apple with you. The third component is the affiliations component. You've heard us talk a little bit about this on the podcast. We break down and, and tear apart what affiliations really are. We talk about them from a legal context, which is incredibly important. We talk about them... Uh, from a governance context, talk about them from a valuation context, and we talk about them from an exit context. And and breaking down affiliations into all of those different components gives you one more tool in your toolbox uh, to use when it comes to prospecting and building your business. And the fourth component is the M part of the M-A-N-A class, mergers. So you build a business to some level of size and volume, and you may have the opportunity to merge another group into your group. It could be something where if you're a pediatric group, you want to merge an orthodontic group into yours. Or it could be if you're a pedo-ortho group and you want to merge an oral surgery group into yours. It could be if you're a general dentistry group and you want to merge a specialty group into yours, or it could be that you're a general dentistry group and you want to merge a smaller general dentistry group in a new geography into yours. So what does a true merger look like from a capitalization table context? What does it look like from a legal context of how we achieve this outcome? Uh, What does it mean from a a governance context? Um, And what does it mean to the shareholders of all of those, those different groups from an ownership context? So breaking apart mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations from a business development, from an acquisition, from an equity context, from an affiliation context, and certainly a merger context is a lot of content. We teach that over two days. And suffice to say, we want you 
to be better at growing your business from a business development context and understanding the different tools you have in your toolbox to get it all done. And in short, we want you to be able to play in the M&A space every bit as much and effectively as the enterprise level groups that you compete with. And if we can do that, we are going to unlock a lot of value and a lot of opportunity in this emerging group practice space. So if this sounds like something that you're interested in doing and you're interested in growing through um, acquisitions pr predominantly, then I think the mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations uh, masterclass would be something that would benefit you tremendously. So again, the first dates are going to be January 13th and 14th here in Charlotte, probably a secondary date for the same subject matter uh, in February. Um, we're still trying to firm that up. It might be the 17th and 18th, but that's to be determined. Come March, April, and May, we will have other master classes being taught with different subject matter, and we'll probably bring the mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations class back into the fold sometime in the summer um, and potentially in the fall as well. So the idea is that we're probably going to have three or three or four different areas of subject matter. We're going to rotate them around. We're going to teach a, a master class once a month in Charlotte over a two-day period, and the subject matter will probably rotate around uh, until we build up the need for more volume and might potentially do it on a more frequent basis every month. So hopefully the masterclass concept is, is starting to take hold with you. The masterclass, again, is, is um, a, a smaller group, probably about 10 people or fewer. So it's a very intense environment. It's very collaborative, a lot of give and take, a lot of discussion. That will be significantly different than some of the larger format events that we'll be rolling out um, in, the, uh, in the weeks to come. So hopefully that uh, provides clarity around masterclasses conceptually and mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations. If you got more questions, feel free to reach out to me. We'd love to host you in Charlotte. Obviously, we think the space will fill up very quickly. So if you're interested, do reach out to us. Um, love to have you be part of it. So I hope that y'all had a little bit of fun on today's show. I hope that you learned a lot. If you did, feel free to leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. It does help um, in terms of uh, marketing and promotion, obviously, and we appreciate all the nice compliments we get from y'all. Uh, if you want to, if, if you want to send any questions, feel free to send them to me directly at parent at polarishealthcarepartners.com. Um, maybe I'll read one and answer it on an upcoming episode. You never know. Uh, if you do want to find out more about us, you can do so on our website at polarishealthcarepartners.com. Thanks so much for being a subscriber and a listener. Really appreciate you being uh, in the audience. Um, and we look forward to seeing you on the next episode.